Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today on the show, we've got Brad Ewell, a friend of the program, and we'll share that specific connection here in just a few minutes. But Brad sat down to share with us what is quite possibly one of the most unbelievable stories I've ever heard in my whole life. It was clear almost immediately after we began recording, this was not a one-episode ordeal, and so consider this our Christmas gift to you. We have put together a five-part mini-series for Brad to be able to share his story through. Um, Brad was just a police officer in Texas, minding his own business, when uh, one Facebook message began to unravel the fabric of his life, and you might think, ah, I hear this. I think I know where this is going. And let me just assure you, my friend, you do not. (laughs) There are so many twists and turns to this that, uh, and just such a depth and vulnerability from Brad as he shares with us that uh, this was just um, too incredible of a story not to share. And so we have put it into a five-part mini-series. We also have a secondary announcement As part of this um, series, we are also launching our new um, online community, a free online community through Mighty Networks. Uh, And so listen, we've been asking um, in searching, you've been asking us uh, for a place to be able to discuss and, and, and kind of join in community together online. Obviously, there are um, places you can go to do that, but due to algorithms and whatever else, sometimes it's difficult to be able to actually know, am I seeing and hearing everything that's being said in this community? So we are uh, starting a Mighty Networks community where uh, you can discuss and connect all things, for example, podcasts, all things, um, which episodes have been great. Talk about this story with Brad together on there. Um, you can find the links to that on empoweredtoconnect.org or you can visit any of our social media bios um, and uh, the link in the show notes below to join this free community today. Now, without any further ado, here it is, a late discovery, a Texas-sized story of hidden secrets and jailhouse redemption. Part one, Ancestry.com. Well, we talked about in the introduction that we had um, an amazing story to share with you today, and um, and that is one of Brad Yule, and so Brad is here with us as is Tana Ottinger, and so um, before we get uh, too deep into this story, Brad, if you don't mind just kind of introducing yourself and then Tana, if you want to kind of, you know, explain the connection that you guys have, uh, and then we'll go uh, straight through the story and get into it. So Brad, thank for, well, first, thank you for being here with us. Sure. So my name is Brad Ewell. I am Tana's cousin by surprise from just a few years ago. I found out that I was adopted in 2019 when I was 48 years old. I think that was something my parents were planning to take to their grave. And through the wonders of Ancestor DNA, now we're all here on a podcast together. Yeah. And you shared that in one succinct sentence, but that is obviously a a very short version of everything. That's a whole lot of water. That's right. So Brad is my biological cousin, right? And we will tell the whole story, but we met... How, well, it was a few months, maybe a year. When did you start meeting everybody in the family, Brad? Um, You, you, Darlene, and I think almost all your kids came down in the fall of 2019. So I found out in March and I think y'all were down here. So I think that's when Caden and I got to go out and look at some police cars and some stuff. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. So there's a lot of story. There's a very lot of backstory, which we will get into. Um, I will say before we get into that, 
Brad, I appreciate you coming on. I mean, JD and I've talked about, since I started telling him about you, we've talked about wanting to have you on. Um, I appreciate the timing and I think this is the right time, just as your story has had some time to unfold and, um, and we can share some of the nitty gritty of that. For the listeners, this is a whole different side of me because I'm not thinking about me as a mom or as a parent or Mo and I in our parenting, but this is my family of origin story. Like a lot of mixed up pieces and the story will sort of unfold and we'll kind of highlight the little bits and pieces where Brad and I are connected. But it has been an honor to just get to know you. I think, Brad, I think, I hope you would say this, but we met and I felt so connected to you right away. So I think there's something like really special too about us not growing up knowing each other and meeting later in life and feel so deeply connected to you and respect you so much. So um, I really appreciate, I texted this to you this morning. I appreciate you coming and sharing your story and doing the emotional labor of retelling your story. Um, My hope and desire is that it will inspire listeners to like be honest with their children and that the truth always sets us free, even if it's really painful in the process. So um, yeah, I'm happy to have you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So Brad, why don't we start with this? I mean, one of the terms that was new to me that you use is being an MPE, right? And so will you talk about kind of what that term means? A lot of our listeners are obviously familiar with the adoption process or with the foster care process, or even just, you know, good old fashioned parenting. And so you might say MPE and be like, oh, I don't, that I'm lost on that one. Sure. So when, when all of this first happened, the first groups that I really found, I, my brain really didn't, it took a long time to wrap around that I was adopted, but I really quickly understood that I'd had a surprise DNA event where I took a DNA test and suddenly my parents weren't my parents. All the groups I found back then used NPE, which was a not parent expected or non-paternal event. But that starts to be really kind of a shoehorn effect of that only really ever deals with somebody who takes a DNA test and finds out their father's not their father. Mm-hmm. The group that I work with now called Right to Know started using MPE, which is mis- Misattributed Parentage Event, which brings everybody in, whether it's somebody that's taken a DNA test, found out dad's not dad, somebody like me that took a DNA test and found out that you're adopted and nobody ever told you, or also the people that have lived donor conceived and mm-hmm. their parents for yeah. however they were donor conceived, their parents haven't told them their full genetic truth about how they got to be here. So that MPE is what I've stuck with since then, because it's kind of encompassed everybody that gets these surprises. Yeah. So for, for you, as you're growing up, obviously you did not know about this, right? And so you're, you're living life, you're 48 and a half, 49, just rolling through. And then why don't you talk about the actual kind of moment of discovery that, that you had? So I was 48, about 48 and a half. My wife and I were out on a lunch date and probably a month or so before this, a woman had reached out to us through the chat chat feature in Ancestry DNA. And my wife and I just shared an account with all our DNA stuff in it. Yeah. And she had said, I'm trying to figure out how you're, how I'm related to this BE person on your account. And I can't figure out how. And my wife asked me and she knows, but I remind her, I was like, I don't really know. I know my parents, my grandparents, my dad's brother and a few of my cousins, but really that's as far genetically as I've ever known back. That's the only people I know. 
Yeah. So for me not to know somebody wasn't a big shock to us. Hmm. The flip side to that was that probably, probably four years or so before this happened, my dad had confided in me that they thought that my mom was adopted, but that they weren't sure that her mom shortly oh. before she died had called my mom to the hospital room and said, Hey, there's some things you should know you're adopted. I didn't really want to, your dad wanted to, and I just thought I should tell you. <gasps> Brad, so, I had no idea of that. Yeah. So when we were first contacted based on the person's age, we thought she's right dead on in age with my mother. So we thought cousin, half sibling, maybe a full okay. sibling that yeah. just got separated. And we still don't know to this day if mom's adopted, mom's got Alzheimer's now and records from the forties are so much worse than records mm-hmm. from the seventies that it's right. hard to find anything out. But so I, I told Pam, I said, you know, it's likely that that's who it is. And you're welcome to dive off into this. I don't really care to, I, I know who my parents are. I'm good. Yep. You're, you're welcome to try to help her. So they talked back and forth at length about different ways they thought that we could be connected. Now, looking back, Pam and I were really just blind. There were so many hints dropped about adoption and all this that Pam just kind of glossed over because we're like, well, we know that's not it. And she knows that's not it. Yeah. Until we had our lunch date and the phone dings. And it was by then, my Pam was talking through Facebook Messenger and she read it and she's like, oh, huh. Well, that lady that contacted us has done all her research and said, there's no way that she's connected to your mom, that she's not related to your mom in any way. And I said, well, you know, I'm sorry. I don't, I have no idea what else to tell her then. Yeah. So Pam told her, you know, sorry, we couldn't help you more. And she's, and so she set the phone down. We were eating Thai food and it dings again and she picks it up and she got a really weird look on her face and she kind of just gave it that. Hmm. And I'm like, what, huh, what? She's like, well, this lady says that her sister had a baby boy in Dallas on my birthday that was given up for adoption two days later, and she thinks it's you. Holy crap. So we honestly laughed it off. I was like, there, there's no way. Uh, of all the things, that that's not right. a possible This person happened to be the right person. Yeah, like, right. that's, that's yeah. perfect. Yeah, I think one of the first things I said was, how many baby boys do you think were born in Dallas on that day? Right. There's right. Lots of hospitals here. There's a ton of people here. Yeah. Yep. I'm, I'm sure she's on the wrong track. So I told Pam, I said, just ask her what hospital she thinks I was born in. When we get home, I'll pull my birth certificate out because yeah, I feel we'll bad. Put this for whole her. thing to really rest. Yeah. yeah. So I don't really care about this, but I feel bad for her. We can at least put her on the right track. So we came back home and my in-laws were over. And because we had now been talking about ancestry throughout lunch, Pam plopped down on the couch with her in, with her mom and they started doing um, family tree stuff. And I went on, I wandered over off into the, into the study and pulled up my birth certificate and went back to Pam and said, Hey, did that lady ever tell you where she thinks I was born? And she said, well, no, she says she can't remember the name of the, of the hospital, but it wasn't really a hospital. It was this little clinic that was white brick with a green awning that was over off of, I think it's Turner Avenue in Dallas, somewhere right around there. But she, she gave me the street. And as she's telling me this, my heart's sinking because I know that place because I've been there over and over again when I was a kid. That that clinic was probably three miles from my grandparents' house. Holy smokes. And there was a doctor there named Dr. Carmichael. 
who was a family friend. And every time we would go visit my grandparents for whatever reason, we would stop in just to say hi to Dr. Carmichael. I, I, we were never sick. We didn't ever, we had our own doctors from when I was sick. This was just a family friend. We'd stop by and say hi to. So my heart kind of sunk because I was like that. This is weirder that now I know I've been to that place. Right. And then I got my birth certificate out and things were suddenly very amiss because the birth certificates from Dallas in 1970, I think they're pretty similar all over, have a physical place of birth, like either a hospital or if you're born at home, an actual street address. Yeah. And mine had two dashes in it. And then, so I started scanning through and I'm like, well, that's weird. Let me get, and Pam was also born in Dallas in 1970. So I'll get hers out and I'll put the two together. And when I put the two together, I realized they couldn't be more different. My wife's was a white typed out document. Mine looked like anybody too young to listen to this. I'm up there to hear this. I'm sorry. A microfiche copy. Remember when you used to make like newspaper yep. copies and they always came out like a negative yeah. print. Yeah. Yep. Mine looked like a microfiche copy, oh, but I wow. still told myself, I was like, I mm. bet my parents lost my birth certificate. And this mm. is what a copy of birth certificate looked like in 1970. Right. Mm. But then when I started looking, I noticed that my wife's was, had her dad's signature on it as the witness of the birth. Mine had nobody's signature on it as the witness of the birth. Hers was stamped in Dallas County because wherever you're born stamps your birth certificate and mine was stamped in Austin. So, Uh-oh. yeah, so it was kind of that big, huh? Well, that's weird. So unfortunately my in-laws were still over and they're still talking and I'm not wanting to drop this on everybody all at once because I'm <laughs> right. still trying to figure it out. So I mulled things over and I waited for them to leave and they finally left. And I grabbed my wife and I'm like, okay, we have to talk. And she's like, what's wrong? And I was like a lot but sit down with me and hear me out. And she's like, okay. So she, we sit down and I was like, I've been racking my brain and I want you to really think hard about this. Take your time. So we have three kids of our own. My parents have lived no further than like 15 or 20 miles from us at the furthest. They've been there for all three kids birth, been there for all three kids as they're growing up and as babies. And I said, you know, Pam, tell me one time, that my mother has ever told you about the day I was born, about how long she was in labor mm. or any of that. And Pam kind of sat back and she goes, that's weird. She's never said a word. And, and my mom has told every embarrassing story about me that she could remember for as long as she's been alive, like most moms. So that kind of struck me as odd that suddenly I'm like, I never got the mom guilt trip of I was in labor with you for this many hours. And this is how you treat me. I'd never heard any of those. My parents were also big time photographers. My dad had been in the Navy. They took pictures overseas everywhere. And that was my next question was, Pam, did you ever, have you ever, when you've gone through all of the photo albums at their house, seen a picture of my mom pregnant? And she went, no. So we racked our brains and by now it was like 10 o'clock at night. And basically we had no good answers. So what we finally came up with was we had a great friend from church that has known since birth she was adopted and right after 9-11 actually jumped through all the hoops it took back then to get your actual adoption records unsealed. And after doing that, she had been able to decipher a single signature off a document and found her whole biological family. So Pam's suggestion was, you know, call her in the morning and see what advice she has because I don't know what else to say. You don't know what else to say. We know something weird is going on, but none of us really understand it. So 
a night of not a whole lot of sleeping later. Mm-hmm. I got up, went to work and called our friend and told her, you know, the very short, I'm like, here's the short version of the story. Here's what's going on. And when I started describing my birth certificate to her, she said, well, do you have a copy of your birth certificate? I said, yeah, I've got one. So we'll text it to me. So I texted her my birth certificate. She said, I'm going to call you back in a few minutes after I go find mine. Okay, great. So like I said, I've known her for years. We've talked for years. And when she called me back, everything about her voice had just changed. It, it went from, you know, hey, Brad, how's it going to, hey, um, and I'm like. She's like, oh. I didn't sign up to be the bearer of this news today. Yeah. So she said, I don't know how to really explain this to you, but I'm going to send you my birth certificate to compare to yours. And I'm like, okay. And her birth certificate and my birth certificate look like carbon copies of each other. If you put them over the top of each other, the places we were born are dashed out. We're missing signatures where they should be there. She was born in Abilene. Her birth certificate stamped in Austin. I was born in Dallas. Mine is stamped in Austin. Okay. And she said, and I went ahead and Googled all this and looked it up. And this is what adoption birth certificates looked like in 1970. So I, I think wow. this lady's right. Wow. So that that's, that's how we landed at the initial kind of figuring things out. So how long between that moment was it before you talked to your parents to ask them a question? About an, uh, by the, I think it took me about four or five hours to try to wrap my head around making that phone call because of all the awkward phone calls I've made trying oh. to get hold of your parents to say, Hey, quick question. Am I adopted? Right. It wasn't one that I was trying. And it really, to this day was not a phone conversation I wanted to have. So mm-hmm. she talked me through and told me the downside. And it's still the downside here in Texas is all the adoption records are sealed. Even though I'm a 50 year old man, I just actually, I'm should get mine tomorrow, but you have to petition the court to get your adoption records unsealed. And you're at the mercy of a judge. If a judge says, sure, you can see him. Great. If a judge says no, you're done and there's no more recourse. Wow. wow. So, yeah, so she said, before you do that, as much as it's going to be awful, I think you're going to have to talk to your parents because you may not get any answers from doing this. Yeah. And for her, when she did it, it, it took several months. And, you know, that this wasn't something I could sit on for months and survive. Right, right. So I gave it four or five hours of building up a plan of how do you call your parents? And then how do you eventually ask if you're adopted? Right. And I had a wonderful master plan. My parents never answered their phone. They never answered their home phone. They never answered their cell phones. <laughs> it was evening by now. Their cell phones would be in the drawer. They're turned off. They never answer them. So I called my dad's cell phone with the plan of, hey, dad, next time you're around, give me a call or better yet, just swing by my office. I just hadn't seen you in a while and let's catch up. And of course, this one night, he answered the phone. (laughs) So plan number one has gone down the drain now. We're we're not leaving a message anymore. And I'm scrambling in my brain for plan number two because I had not planned far enough ahead for plan number one to fail. So my mom is the consummate warrior. She worries about everything. It's, it's just her nature. So my dad and I for decades have talked away from her. I mean, to the point where it's not weird for me to call and say, Hey, I need to talk to you, not around mom. Mm-hmm. And just next time you're free, there's no emergency. Talk to me. Yeah. And that's never been an issue for all these years. So I, I laid it out to him and I really, 
as I was scrambling, I made this great plan to put him at ease. I said, you know, hey, I need to talk to you. No rush, no emergencies. And I even went through my list. I was like, nobody's dying. Nobody's sick. Nobody's broke. Nobody's in trouble. Everything's fine. I just have a couple ideas I want to bounce off of you next time you're around. So when you come by my work or out and about, call me. We'll get together and sit down and have a cup of coffee, have a beer or whatever. And instead of my usual, oh, okay, well, here's when I'll be around. I got, yeah, that's great. Why? Oh, and I was no. like, oh, it's, it's no. Like, I don't want to tell you no. why. It's yeah, no I, I said, yeah, I said, you know, no, 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 no emergency. Everything's fine. Just next time I see you. Well, yeah, but I want to know why. It's like, you never want to know why. He goes, well, I do now. Oh, God. And so I'll tell you what felt like probably oh. four years of my life only took 30 seconds of arguing about why we shouldn't have a phone conversation. Yeah, right. yeah. But finally I got frustrated and I said, dad, do you understand? I'm not trying to have a phone conversation with you. And he's like, yeah, I do. And I said, and you don't seem to be interested in not having a phone conversation. He goes, I just want to know what we're going to talk about. Um, so I sighed and I was like, okay, so do you, and I guess I should have backed up earlier. My parents knew that we did ancestry because Pam and I did it as a Christmas gift. They'd been over to our house, seen us show them our ancestry results. They knew that all of that was out there. So I said, do you remember that we did answer? He's like, oh, yeah. I said, well, this funny thing happened. This lady contacted us, and I was trying to ease into it to see if he would just start talking. I said, so this lady contacted us, and we're related, and she's right about the right age where I thought that she was either mom's aunt, sister, half or not aunt, but cousin, sister, half cousin, half sister, something like that. And I said thought specifically hoping that he would catch on that thought Mm -hmm. is not going to be right. Right. And instead he just went, wow, that's fascinating. I didn't know they could do stuff like that. That's amazing. And he kept going on and on and on. When he finally stopped, I was like, but that's not it. And he goes, oh, well, okay. So what is it? I said, well, he says, or she said that her sister had a baby boy on my birthday in Dallas. that was given up immediately for adoption. And she thinks y'all adopted me and never told me. And instead of all the wow that I got before, I got, huh, and not another word, which for me was the answer. Sure. So we sat on the phone for probably an awkward minute or so. It turned out he was driving, but all I could hear was the fingers turned out on his steering wheel, just drumming on his steering wheel as he realized that I had just. Had to figure out how to respond. Yeah. I had just opened a can of worms that they had never intended to open. And I finally stopped. And I said, dad, I'm, I'm not trying to be an ass. And I know this is hard, but you also know I've been a cop for 27 years. And by the conversation we've just had, I know the answer. Yeah. But you have to say it out loud because until you do, I'm constantly going to wonder if I'm still misconstruing something. And he let out this long. He said, well, Bradley, you're adopted. We've been trying to figure out how to tell you. Oh, and that was how I found out. Man. What did you say back, Brad? Do you remember? I remember crying. I was at mm-hmm. work, so I couldn't cry like loud, but I remember the tears just running down my face because yeah. in an instant, everything just changed. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't really think I said much because I think he immediately went on kind of that defensive mode of, 
the, the same thing that you hear for other things. Everything's okay. We're still your parents. The, the one thing changed that, or whatever. Yeah. And, and that's probably the one I hate the most that he's yep. told that they've told me over years. And so many people have is, you know, nothing has changed. And I'm like, maybe where you're sitting, nothing has changed, that's but right. everything yeah. has changed. Yeah. So he went through all of that and I'm like, okay, well, um, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't even know what to say. And he said, well, I guess I need to go home and tell your mom that you found out. And I was like, Okay, I guess so. And he hung up and that was that. I went on and worked for like three more hours and then finally went home. Well, so once we hung up, I texted Pam, my wife, and said, hey, I can't talk right now because I've barely got it all together as it is. But please reach out to this lady and tell her she's right. Talk to her about whatever she wants to talk to her. But tell her I can't talk to her yet because I, I don't even understand this enough to yeah. start trying to figure out what questions I want to ask and what things I want to know. But go mm-hmm. ahead and tell her she's right, and we'll move on from there. I know I shouldn't be texting this to you, but I cannot call you on the phone right. and talk about it. Yeah. So that was how we ended night one. Holy moly. This might be an interesting place to add that the woman texting you was my mother. That's correct. Yeah. So that that is the dynamic at play. So and not, Tana, I imagine you you had no idea, right? Oh, I knew. I totally didn't know JD actually. Okay. Yeah. Like I knew there was a Brad in the world for quite some time, actually. And I was one of the only family members that knew that there was a Brad in the world. Okay. Um, and we can tell that storyline if we even need to some kind of way. But as an adoptive mom, I did know that I had a cousin that had been placed for adoption through my mom. Yeah. Because she had the fear, you know, what she shared with me was that her generation would go and that someday somebody might come wondering. So there's a lot of stories there and a lot of intricacies and that kind of thing. But I found out early on in my parenting that there was a cousin out there that had been placed for adoption years ago. And there's a lot of family. Maybe I will trust Brad to to share whatever part of that he wants to share. And I can fill in a little bit from my perspective. But I actually did know about my mom lives with us. Yeah. Yeah. So I did know about the text messages. I wasn't reading them. I wasn't like editing her. I needed to let her do what she needed to do, right? Because we're two totally different people. But when she thought she found him, I did know that happened. Um, So, yeah. Which is, you know, I don't know, like, oh, Brad, it's just been a long couple years. And I, I know I'm speaking on that on behalf of you. And I don't oh. want to, I want you to feel free to share sure. sort of your process. I don't want to jump ahead. But there was a lot of mixed emotion on our side because there was some, like mom found some photographs that made it look like maybe he knew he was adopted. Like, Brad, there was one shirt you were wearing that was on social media that I I don't even, the t-shirt said like adopt, it had, it was an adoption t-shirt. So what, what that was that she saw was one of my close friends has two adopted children now. And she sold t-shirts as a fundraiser for her home study and everything. And they had two tattoo birds up here on the chest and it held a banner that said support adoption. That's what you're, so, so I was like, so mom so, and I were like, well, look, he has a support adoption yeah. shirt on. 
So it would appear to the outside world that I must know that I'm adopted and I'm telling you. know, when you're trolling, trying to put stories together. Yes. Like, yes, we were trolling his Facebook. I mean, it took no time at all to see that there's a familiar relationship. Yes. Like, JD, do you see Brad and I? Do you see us? Yeah. Yeah. You can see it. And I'm like, oh, that's him. Because you also look like some of your biological siblings. I mean, it, it, It was obvious from our side, trolling social media, that Brad probably was who we thought he might be. And the part that is impossible to know is, did he know? Right. So there's so much, like, there's internalized feelings over here. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. like all the stuff that is so right. mixed up and present here because of all that had to unravel and has unraveled for you, Brad. Um, I won't get emotional, but, oh, I love you. Like, I just wish it could have gone a different way, you know? Me too. I just wish it could have gone a different way. So I think if we back up, the easiest way to explain why my aunt and Tana's mom knew about me and nobody else did was back in 1970, Tana's mom and my biological mom lived in Dallas together. All of the rest of the family lived in Stockton, California. And you have to really rewind in your mind to 1970 when... We didn't zoom like we are now. There wasn't um, right. Facebook. Facebook. There was yeah. there, there wasn't internet. Yeah. So there were there long were wall telephones yes, that you had wall. to pay long distance for. That's right. Yes. Right. That's right. So having a and it was expensive to fly. Flying was something that well well off people did. You could easily go nine months, carry a child to term, and have that baby, and never tell a soul. And if you were in two other yeah. states, nobody would ever know. Yeah. That's right. So my mom is one, she's a large family. She's the oldest daughter in the family. And Brad's biological mother, who is my, you know, aunt, was younger than my mom. So Brad's mom was living with my mom, her older sister, in the DFW area during the 70s, you know, the late 60s, early 70s, which Brad and I left before we got on. You know, there was a lot going on in Dallas County um, in that particular era of time that I believe our mothers were enjoying. Shall we say it that way? <laughs> I think so. I, I think, think that's right. I think they were living an enjoyable young adult, you know, very young adult life together, having a good old time. Um, and I'll well, let you tell whatever you want to tell, Brad. So it's your story. I, I think that's probably what brought my mom out here was... Yeah. She was That's fresh right. out of high school. Her yep. older sister was living on her own here in Dallas. Yep. And she didn't want to live under her parents' roof anymore because there's rules. So you yep. move away from your parents. What better place than your sister in Dallas, thousands of miles away? Yep. And, and my mom was youngly married. Yeah. So my mom was youngly married. And go ahead, Brad. I'll let you tell whatever you want to tell. <laughs> well, so when... Tana's mom was married to, was married. The man that she was married to is also my biological father because my biological father started a relationship with his wife's younger sister. Yes. That broke off at some point with nobody knowing about it when they were all in California and then rekindled when my mom found herself, found her way back out to Texas because they were both out here then. 
And there's a lot of other people and situations and circumstances involved. There's a lot of people all edit out because they don't want their dirty laundry aired. And you can just imagine there's a few other stories. But again, we stress it was the late sixties. Yes. And lots of love and maybe substances and whatever just were flying around uh, places other than just California. Like, yeah, I feel like in the, you know, I, I was not alive for that period of time. And so what it feels like when you think about those stereotypes, you're like, oh, like California, like that's, that's where all of it was relegated to. Like it didn't, but no, it was everywhere. Well, it, it was, it started in California. This family unit was actually from California. Well, yeah. They just transported it to DFW. They brought the revolution DFW. with them. Yeah. <laughs> took a little California fun life to the DFW area. Yeesh. Uh, so I would love Brad, if we could, if we could pause that point and you know, where we left the story earlier is that your dad knew and yeah. so I'll have to call you back once I've talked to your mother and then did you get a call back at that point? Um, visit no, from them not, not that night. Um, so Tana asked you what I said. I really didn't say a lot. What, what I remember most is it really felt like that I, as my dad said, yeah, you're adopted. It was almost like being on that roller coaster that finally crests over the hill and starts racing down. Yeah. Everything just spun out of control. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there at the desk trying to figure out, well, you know, what does this mean about anything? The people I thought that I'm from are not the people I'm from. What do you do with that? What does that mean about our relationship now? Who am I from? Because I knew that the person that reached out to me thought they were my aunt, but that didn't tell me much. And even then, only my wife had talked to her. So I hadn't, I had not seen a pic. It turns out my wife had seen pictures, but I had not seen a picture. I had no idea. So it's, it is, I'll say the most unmooring experience you ever have. We're literally everything just stops making sense all at once. Yeah. Yeah, That word unraveling you used earlier, I think is like the the picture, right? Like it, it right. like one, one string unties and then all of a sudden it all, the structure comes down. You've been listening to a late discovery, a Texas size story of hidden secrets and jailhouse redemption from empowered to connect for more on the podcast, to learn more about Brad or to join our online community through mighty networks, please check out the link in the show notes below Head to empoweredtoconnect.org or check the link in any of our social media bios at Empowered to Connect.